you know, what can run in the face of that uh, outlook? You get uh, deterioration in the economic outlook. The consumer stops spending, and we're seeing some signs of that right now, the, the effect of, of high interest rates on the consumer. That, you know, in, impacts home equity lines of credit. Credit card balances are high, and the interest rate on credit cards is north of 20%. So those things have a a delayed impact on consumer behavior, and that's what we're looking for as, as maybe a fly in the ointment this year. Welcome to the Trusted Partner Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer and Gabe Chodak. Jesse and Gabe are relationship managers at Cobblestone Capital Advisors comprehensive wealth management firm that serves families and individuals in all aspects of their financial lives. All opinions expressed by Jesse and Gabe or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Cobblestone Capital Advisors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Cobblestone Capital Advisors may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us an email with questions, suggestions, or content ideas to our email address, podcasts at cobblestonecap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Trusted Partner Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Gabe, here we are in mid-January. I'm excited for this episode because we wanted to sit down with, with an important person here at Cobblestone and discuss not only what happened in 2023, but we want to provide a little a little look ahead to 2024. Yeah, Jesse, it's it everyone does their, you know, year in review and we're no different. We're going to do it as well. It's always important to look back at the broad overview. Sometimes when you're in the middle of the thick of it and you're seeing these quick declines or these quick increases in the market and you're seeing lots of headline news that could be concerning or optimistic, you can you can forget about what the general year looked like. So it's always a good idea. Really glad to have John here to join us and looking forward to this episode. That's right. So John DePasquale, CEO here at Cobblestone. And the thing that I like about John and the thing I really enjoyed about this conversation is he's got the client-facing experience and he's there in the trenches and listening to concerns of what people have to say. But he also has the investing and the analytical background to talk about what's going on in the markets and why it matters and how things are the, the interplay of the economy, markets, headlines, all that kind of stuff. So really is a terrific conversation. And without further ado, let's get started with John on episode 37 of the Trusted Partner Podcast. You know, John, 2023, interesting year, a few ups, a few downs, and then we get to the end of the year and it turns out, I mean, the markets performed very well. Investors had terrific results, but it wasn't easy along the way. So let's just start with that topic. And you know, when you think back on 2023, where does your mind jump to? How do you summarize the year? Yeah, great. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's my second podcast with the wonderful duo here. So this is special. Um, yeah, I think Jesse and Gabe, this uh, this year, 2023, I think could very well be described as a lot of angst. There was a lot of angst and it would be very hard for investors to start the year thinking we'd have an S&P 500 up 26% to end 2023. We were coming off 2022 with the quickest increase in Federal Reserve increase in interest rate hikes. Um, I think we jumped five percentage points in about 11 months. 
So when we started the year, we had a lot of negativity that kind of surrounded the markets and investor psyche. So looking back, it, you could say it was a shocking result from where we started. And in your comment, Jesse, you said investors did well. And what we know is a lot of investors probably did not do well because a lot of investors were probably emotional going into the start of the year, maybe trying to time things um, or trying to play around too much. And we know where that goes. And so it, it might have not been a great year for lots of investors. And that is where you can get really hurt. If, if you miss this year by not being invested and you're now not compounding off of those returns long term, that's really difficult to overcome. The headlines, I mean, John, John, you alluded to this, just kind of this negative sentiment. Well, how do people get that negative sentiment? They don't get it from looking at, you know, the St. Louis Fed data. They get it because they see the headlines and the newspapers and CNBC or wherever they get their media and they see things about, oh, is there a looming recession? Uh, you know, wars that are that are causing uh, uh, supply chain disruptions, and they let those kind of headlines seep into their investing decisions, and at times make make suboptimal choices. Yeah, I, I, certainly inflation was real for the consumer, Definitely. so that that pinched people's pocketbooks um, at the grocery store. Huge price increases across the board. So real life impact was was pronounced in many ways and sometimes disproportionately for the underprivileged um, because basic food and, and energy costs went up dramatically in 2022 and to start 23. So that led to, I think, the consumer psyche. Um, certainly the headlines weren't helped on the economic front. Early 23, the banking crisis kind of swept through a uh, couple prominent banks in California went bankrupt in a very short, in a matter of days, um, as a result of the Fed hike campaign. So, these were these were real events that could shake people's confidence. John, you've been at this a while now. You can tell uh, by my gray <laughs> hairs, Jim. Yes, thank you. I, I wasn't, you know, I was just. Politely saying you've been at my thirtieth year now. in the business. Yes, this is year thirty for me. Um, can you talk a little bit? Obviously, these headlines are different than past headlines that we experienced in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. It seems like there's some pervasive themes, or just how do you, as an investor and as a, managing an investment firm, how do you work through those? perhaps new headlines to know that it is somewhat of a recycling in, in terms of ideas. Well, it's, it's interesting. In, in, in our business, there's a, there's a common term used, bull markets climb a wall of worry. So in, in the last three decades, there's always a wall of worry, no matter the environment. There's never, and in fact, the greater the wall of worry is likely the period when returns are the are the most impressive so you even look back in 23 the wall of worry was enormous global you know conflict inflation a federal reserve that had increased rates dramatically and was threatening to continue on that path so 
there's that that, that was just a, a, a laundry list of items for investors to want to not invest, right? Um, and and likewise, cash returns were the most pronounced they've been in decades. When you could put money in a money market and get over 5%, 5.2%, that's real return, especially on the heels of a decade when investors could get virtually 0% return on their cash. But there's also the notion that whenever it appears attractive to invest in cash, it's probably not the right time to invest in cash. And that turned out to be the case in 23. So you could have gotten 5% in cash in 23, but you missed out on high uh, teens returns in a balanced portfolio and over 25% returns in large cap stocks. Those, as you pointed out earlier, Gabe, those are returns that can last multiple years. That, that leads to the compounded uh, results that we're all looking for when we invest in, in a balanced portfolio. One of my favorite stats, speaking of this 26% return from large cap stocks, or, you know, mid-20s, something like that, one of my favorite stats from 2023 is the fact that we had multiple drawdowns, though, of 8 to 10%. There was one, I think, in the February-March time frame of 23, which was around the Silicon Valley Bank time. And then there was a more pronounced drawdown from late July through August, I think a 10 or 11% drawdown. And yet, we reached the end of the year, we look back on the previous 12 months, and we're up 26%. And that's, my understanding is, that's another pattern that plays out frequently, which is, you have these little bumps along the road, even within a year, and yet at the end of the year, you look back and you see a wonderful, you know, climb up that wall of worry. Were there any conversations, John, that you can specifically remember from 2023, where someone was concerned about the fact that they see this 8 10% drawdown that their account is currently in, and yet we have to say, we have to pause, zoom out, and, and offer them some, some sage counsel? Oh, absolutely. I think those those time windows were the most pronounced in the spring around the bank failures and regional bank pressures uh, nationally. And then again, late in the year when the Federal Reserve made it very clear that they weren't done with their rate hike campaign, they saw persistence in inflationary trends, and they were going to do everything in their power to, to stamp out inflation. So um, those two moments led to it wasn't it wasn't the magnitude of the decline it was the the um, the abruptness of the declines and that is what leads to a kind of a shaken confidence across investor groups Th that when you get this one month 10 percent drawdown it it calls into question you know the the whole investor kind of discipline and and that's our role at cobblestone and in any investment firm you need to remain disciplined regardless of the of the environment the surrounding environment because it's easy to get shaken out another quick thought on the topic of discipline some investors on the other side of the spectrum say s p 500 2023 up 26% why should i invest in anything else why should i have a bond allocation? Why should I have an alt allocation? Why should I have an international allocation when I can make 26% a year in the S&P 500? Yeah, I think it's always easy to look back at the compounder return, but the reality is what the market does and what investors' performances are two very different things. And in my experience, 
in the business, investor emotions drive the actual results. And we, we do everything in our power to remove the investor from the emotional swings that dominate the market and the headlines that can drive emotions. So try to, try to remove yourself from the, the headlines. The headlines are there to, to sell media and sell newspapers. It's now more get clicks, but, uh, but that doesn't help uh, with long-term investment success. I don't think Warren Buffett and God rest his soul, Charlie Munger, were worried about the headlines every day when they were choosing great companies to invest in. They were looking for, at a minimum, 10-year holding periods when they invested in a company. And that's the psyche we need to imbue on our clients. It's when you make an investment, this isn't a six-month trial run. This is you're investing in the compounding power of these businesses or these asset classes. And, and, and it's the, that counsel that our clients need to receive from, from us and, and we need to be constantly attuned to um, that effort. And Jesse, when you look at, right, you can take the snippet of 2023 and show S&P and even you know, mega cap and really seven stocks and say, hey, this is great and if you own these, amazing but you can you can go back throughout time and depending on where you want to snip data you can show international performing extremely well you can show emerging markets you can show alternatives and and that's why it comes back to a goals based portfolio construction framework it's more than i'm just going to own the s&p and try and compound this wealth it's what does a portfolio look like to help you achieve your goals. And for most people, it does include that diversification because quite frankly, too, we don't know what U.S. stocks are going to do this year. And being overloaded in the S&P 500 may have been great last year, but this year may not be so beneficial for a portfolio. Right. That, that, that Monday morning quarterback analysis is something you can always do in investing, but it doesn't do much for you as far as going forward into the next year. It's always easy to go back and say, of course, I would have been 100% in the Magnificent Seven last year if I could, but I can't. And it's, it's just not worthwhile to think that way. What is worthwhile is to understand that you can't predict the future, you can't predict the short term, and owning a, a diverse portfolio of, of income-producing assets is the smart way going forward. Back on the international front, I mean, if you look at the last decade, U.S. stocks have dramatically outperformed developed international, and so it could call into question why even own international. But at the prior decade, it was the reverse. So these are long patterns, long-term patterns, and you, you, can't, you can't properly time the entry point to get exposure. So it's important to just arrive at, a, at an appropriate mix and remain patient and disciplined and maintain that exposure. And that's where I, you know, if you have this itch to try and somewhat time markets or try and take advantage of soft pockets, that's what rebalancing really is, right? I mean, that's if you have said that I'm going to keep a specific split between domestic and international and 
over the last decade as International has underperformed, you're buying International at a better valuation. Much better. It's it's very attractive, and you could argue that the, the, the dollar will start to underperform versus other currencies. So there, there's there's uh, real fundamental reasons, valuation being one of them, and, and maybe the recovery of some of these other markets um, you know, outperforming the U.S. In, in the next decade. That's not a reason to sell the U.S. and buy international, but but to, to tweak around the, the margin. Gabe made some great points earlier about the, the MAG-7, the Magnificent 7. Um, but then, which, okay, the MAG-7, they, they, they led the year for sure. But then in this Q4 rally, the November-December rally in the stock market, we saw this, this kind of broad-based broadening out of market returns where the MAG-7 weren't necessarily leading the charge anymore. And, and a lot of these smaller stocks started to rally. What, what led to that? Uh, why, why is that important? And, and what do you think about that moving forward? Yeah, actually, I think, Jesse, that was a very healthy development in the fourth quarter. And the, the development was, was caused by the Fed recognizing that inflationary data points were coming in softer than expected. So inflation was clearly decelerating. Uh, and this was after they thought it was remaining stubbornly high. So in Q4, the the data points came in decidedly in the favor of lower interest rates. And then near the end of the year, the Federal Reserve made it clear that they were likely more closer to cutting rates, not continuing to raise rates. So that just put uh, it reduced the pressure across the board on a lot of companies that depend on debt financing uh, as a critical source to to run their businesses. If the cost of debt was likely to go lower in the years ahead, that's very good for corporate profits. And that led to a broadening out to smaller company stocks, value stocks. And there was a major catch-up in the fourth quarter to close the gap between those seven companies that you mentioned and the rest of the market. And that broadening out is, is a healthy phenomenon. And it, if it continues, that's more uh, in line with a, with a healthy bull market. Right. I mean, do you, I think we have them somewhere in front of us, Jesse, the, the difference in valuations between those top seven or top 10 kind of at the end of the year versus the rest of the 490 of the S&P, it's something like 30. I think it's 27 versus 17. Yeah, somewhere somewhere around there, a P.E. Right? ratio, right. I think the top 10 have a P.E. ratio of 27, and the rest of the S&P 500, the other 490, have a P.E. ratio of 17, right. which just shows that it, it's hard to draw kind of these broad conclusions from that. But relatively speaking, based on looking at the past, you would say, well, those magnificent 7 or 10 are overpriced, at least compared to the remainder of the of the S&P 500. It, part of it's just intuitive, right? And you, again, John, you've seen this before in different markets and different market leaders. I, when it, It's not to say we'll pick on Apple. It's not to say Apple's a bad company or there's poor leadership and they're not going to be profitable. It's just a lot harder to increase your market capitalization when you're so big already. Yeah, a lot of those companies not only were they the largest businesses in the S&P, but they were also growing very quickly, which led to the outsized valuation. Um, n- n- none of them really rely on debt financing. 
So that issue of expensive debt didn't impact their business either. So, so there were a lot of elements that led to their outperformance in 23. And I don't think they need to crash in 24. I think the rest of the market can catch up. And it might be a multi-year process. When you look back to the NASDAQ bubble that was early 2000, you know, there were great businesses that demanded high valuations, the Cisco systems of the world. Um, but since then, Cisco really has dramatically underperformed the market since 2000 to now. That's, that was the darling at the time for building out the infrastructure of the Internet. Um, and there are others like it. And, and, and to your point, I don't think that means that Apple is going to crash, but other businesses could catch up, and, and the same with a Meta or a Google or, or an Amazon. These are huge businesses. At some point, the law of large numbers kicks in where you're so big, you become a representation of the economy, and the economy doesn't grow at 27% a year. The the Cisco Systems reference brings back some some daunting memories of some bar mitzvah money no longer with me. So thank you, John. Sorry to bring up a bad topic, Abe. At least it wasn't uh, AOL <laughs> or WorldCom that went to that, dust. That, that's before my time, John. <laughs> well, when we're talking about debt financing, there, John. I mean, interest rates and debt financing go go, go hand in hand. Uh, Looking ahead to 2024, the Federal Reserve has signaled that there are likely to be rate cuts. We don't know for sure. We do probably know that some of those rate cuts are already priced in. So, I mean, when it comes to macro stuff, I know personally, I recommend to individual investors to to try to block out most of the noise when it comes to macro stuff, but it's still interesting to talk about. What, What are your thoughts? When it comes to 2024 interest rates, how much should people be paying attention? And and just here at Affirm, though, where we're thinking about this stuff day in and day out, what are our thoughts on interest rates in 2024? I think if the yield curve, which is really just a a measurement of short-term rates versus long-term rates, and right now short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, that should normalize. So we should get the Fed funds rates back from currently five and a quarter to five and a half percent down to the mid threes by the end of the year. That's the market expectation. And if we can if we can see that develop with a 10-year yield on a 10-year treasury at four percent, um, that would be a normalization of the yield curve where you're you're paying investors less for short-term bonds than you would for long-term bonds. And that wouldn't be a bad phenomenon at all. And in fact, that would signal a, a healthy uh, debt market, healthier economic uh, outlook. And so that's that's generally our expectation that we should see solid returns from bonds in the mid-single digits and stocks are broadening out of the market where the average company is is really trading in the mid to high teens, not the high 20s in, in terms of PE ratios. And if, if inflation is your friend and corporate profit growth continues at a steady clip, that's a, that's a solid backdrop for good general portfolio returns. And so, you know, what can run in the face of that uh, outlook? You get a deterioration in the economic outlook where the consumer stops spending, and we're seeing some signs of that right now. 
the, the effect of, of high interest rates on the consumer, that you know in, impacts home equity lines of, of credit. Credit card balances are high and the interest rate on credit cards is north of 20%. So those things have a, a delayed impact on consumer behavior and that's what we're looking for as, as maybe a fly in the ointment this year. Nice if someone told Patty about those rates and slowing down spending a little bit. Um, who, who could possibly do that? I, I, not me. I, I'll bring in John for that conversation. Um, but you know, to your point, Jesse, and, and as John touched on there, it the average investor you don't need to it, if you're interested in looking at what the Fed's doing, obviously but it shouldn't be impacting your investing strategy. But from a personal finance standpoint, those are times where you should be thinking about, did you buy a new home and should you be refinancing? Looking at car loans, looking at other uh, you know, debt you may have, it, you know, student loan debt, does it make sense to consolidate as interest rates come down? So those are the types of things that the, the average investor or average consumer should really be considering if and when interest rates do fall. Here we are recording on, on January 16th, and this is probably going to come out in a couple days. So here we are mid-January. One of the big topics is uh, inflation, right? Inflation so far, it's been falling. Is this the end of inflation? Well, we're not quite sure. But just when, when people have inflation questions for you, John, or just maybe what are your personal thoughts on where we are as far as inflation goes and, and what you're thinking about for the year ahead? Yeah, the the... the for me personally, the, the topic of inflation was one of the unfortunate byproducts of the, the COVID outbreak globally and the disruption to supply chains across the globe. And, and to when you, when you shut the global economic system down, that and in some markets, there was an excess demand with not enough supply. So there was embedded inflationary trends built in. And to unravel that took years, and that we're seeing that. Um, and so the Federal Reserve compounded that by, okay, we're going we're gonna to raise rates because we gave too much accommodation at the outbreak of, of COVID. And, and now we're seeing maybe the the global economy trend line for inflation is more like two percent you have international in trade as well as technology that is a disinflationary force so personally i don't think we're going to have long-run inflation above three percent we had a window of time for the reasons i just cited where inflation spiked and now i think we're seeing inflation trend back to their long-term more natural levels and i think that's a that's a big driver of the market sensing that in 2023 that led to certainly the fourth quarter returns that were very strong um, maybe this year investors are a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of the expectation that the federal reserve will cut rates very rapidly in in the first quarter and into the second quarter. So that's what we're looking at is maybe just taking a pause on expectations. But inflation was a, a, a no doubt a real phenomenon the last couple of years. I think the trend line is is our friend right now in terms of inflation and, and it, you know, trending lower. Where it settles, 
that's the ultimate question and where risk-free assets ultimately settle is is what we're paying close attention to in 24. And also worth noting too that inflation going down if if that trend line starts to be around two percent that still means that prices are increasing just less than we've seen them so i think some people confuse that with deflation so don't expect to just go to the grocery store and see everything go back to the way it was it just isn't going to increase as quickly as previously. Good point, Gabe. Yeah, once we reset to a higher level, it stayed there and then... Exactly. That that Josh Allen jersey is now more expensive and only getting more expensive in in the coming weeks. Well, that's priceless. (laughs) John, we are approaching earnings season. It's something Gabe and I have just been chatting about. You know, here we are in January and Q1, I'm sorry, uh, Q4 23 earnings are about to be released and published. And, and one of the big parts of stock investing that maybe the average person doesn't understand is that in times like these, when the stock market either takes a quick jump up or maybe sometimes a quick jump down, a lot of times it's because the market had certain expectations for earnings and those expectations were either overachieved or underachieved. And that can kind of cause these quick dislocations in market prices. Last year, we, we have some data in front of us when it came to 2023 earnings and how they compared to expectations. We're not exactly sure what will happen in 24, but maybe can you start with what 23 looked like, segue a little bit into about 2024 earnings or potential causes of volatility in 2024, something along those lines. Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. 23 started out with a, a blanket of negativity over the markets, and it was you know, driven by earnings estimates were very low going into the year. Analysts decidedly were negative on corporate profitability outlook. And as the year went on, companies outperformed those estimates. So the actual results turned out to be better than what the analysts were, were looking for. And that led to a surprise to the upside. And so that's another point when the markets get really negative, the bar has been set pretty low for outperformance, and that can lead to stocks outperforming people's estimates. The reverse could be true for 24, where you go into a year with some more positive, you know, signs of hope. The Fed likely to cut rates, corporate profitability staying strong, unemployment rate remaining low, um, job and wage, wage growth remaining healthy. Those are the things that the market expects. If any of those things don't pan out, that could lead to underperformance. So it's a matter of expectation, and and the start of a new year is an arbitrary point in time, and our our markets kind of get measured by calendar year performance. But um, we're seeing in the first couple weeks of 24, the market pulling back a little bit, kind of absorbing the gains that were fast and furious in the fourth quarter in the last couple months of 23. That's healthy. We'd like to see a little healthy pullback. Absorb the gains, digest news, see how corporate profits come in. They're going to be coming in this week and next in earnest. Um, A lot of the big companies are reporting profits. Uh, The banks came out. Some of the big banks came out last week. Some underlying profits were were better than expected, and then there were some significant write-offs for for loan loss reserves and that sort of thing. But 
but we're hopeful that profitability remains stable and we don't have negative shocks. We're obviously in an election year, so that could that can also introduce other sources of angst across the investment landscape. Yeah, and, and there's some pretty good data out there when it comes to elections, right? People tend to impose their political beliefs on investment outlooks. And what we know is ultimately it, it doesn't really matter, right? Markets do what markets do, and they perform well and poorly under all different types of leadership circumstances. And and so it's going to be very easy for people to, you know, try and make calls on what portfolios may or may not do and what markets may or may not do. But really important to, to step back and again, take that emotion out of it. Stay disciplined, take your emotion out of it and and remember that, you know, markets have been through this in this country many, many times before. Well, John, thank you again for coming on the podcast. You always share wonderful wisdom with us. And speaking of wonderful wisdom, I've had great conversations with both you guys independently recently when it comes to books. And I've read a couple great books recently. So let's just go around the circle real quick, talk about a really good book that's impacted you recently, and and, and share it with our audience. Uh, Gabe, do you wanna do you wanna start first? Yeah, I'll, I'll lead off. And I actually, you know, so I just started a new book. Um, Outlive by Peter Atia, which I'm really looking forward to and probably deserves its own podcast episode on longevity. Um, but one I, ju- I just read around the holidays, um, Unreasonable Hospitality, um, written by Will Guarda, who was one of the partners of Eleven Madison Park. And just fascinating book, quick, easy read, really applicable to anyone's industry that they're in. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think I actually gave it to John for Christmas, so we can do a little book club. But it, looking forward to it, Gabe. Yeah, Thank you. I'm. Uh, I I love phenomenal service, and this was all about just creating a, a culture of of making other people's experiences in whatever industry you're in uh, really powerful. So yeah, that's and I can't wait to read it because it, it that's what we should be aspiring to at Cobblestone. Um, a, a book that I just read with a bunch of college friends. We go away once a year to play a little golf and to share some laughs. Um, was a book called Die with Zero. And it's meant to kind of offer perspective on, you know, people's lifelong obsession with building a nest egg and growing the nest egg. And sometimes that comes at the expense of life experiences. And people are worried too much about their money instead of living and really um, making deposits in the memory bank. There's a reference there where, you know, those are the experiences that have lasting value. And the reality is most people, their assets outlive their lives. And if you wait too long to have lasting experiences with your family and with your friends, Sometimes your health deteriorates at the time you think you're you're free to go do those things and you won't be able to do them. So it's it offers helpful insight as we advise clients on their financial journey, but it comes with some helpful balance and perspective. You know, we should be trying to help our clients arrive at the pinnacle of happiness, not just financial mountain building that mountain in perpetuity it's what's the right balance 
So I, I would recommend it to anyone who's, who's approaching the years of planning for retirement. But even I, I'm going to give it to my, my son who's starting out in his career path to shed some helpful perspective on, you know what, don't put off those great experiences because those are the things that you'll remember forever, not how, many, how, many, how much money you put in your Roth IRA. So um, it's a little bit uh, counter- uh, counter well, it's balance. Uh, yeah. It's balance. Yeah. Right? Still, still fund your Roth IRA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I love both those, both those recommendations. I just finished a book called Factfulness by a, a Swedish doctor and researcher named Hans Rosling. And it's, in a nutshell, the book presents this thesis that many people, including mainly Westerners like us, people living in, in the Western world, have an overly pessimistic view of the world as a whole. And uh, Rosling presents lots of data points like UN World Health Organization style data points that show ways in which so many people all over the world are, are progressing in life and getting out of extreme po- po- poverty, um, how countries are developing and, and becoming more modernized and, and diseases are decreasing and just all these interesting stats that when you really think about it and zoom out, you say, yeah, we have it pretty good. And I wouldn't trade my life today for the life of an American in 1920 or 1820 or 1720. So this factful approach just puts things in perspective. And anyway, it's a great book. It's eye-opening. And I I, I don't think anyone around this table is surviving the pioneer life. So (laughs) speak for yourself, Gabe. (laughs) Go Bills. Go Bills. Speaking of pioneers, yeah, that, 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 was, uh, that was another angst-filled victory yesterday against the Steelers, but we'll we'll take it. No, no pictures on the scorecard, no. John. That's Just right. W's or L's. Every victory in the NFL is going to be a tough one, so we'll take it. On to, on to Kansas City. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Trusted Partner Podcast. We want to start answering some of your questions on the show. So if you have an investing, a financial planning, a personal finance question, send that question to podcast at cobblestonecap.com. Once again, that's podcast at cobblestonecap.com. Thank you again for listening to the Trusted Partner Podcast.